time for breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is a crowded table of wounded children, parents, spouses, caregivers, and weary souls. Together, we join in honest conversations about the behaviors and challenges of parenting and working with children who've experienced trauma. There's always room for one more at the table to share in the stories, science, and healing as we learn to better understand and care for each other. We are a table without shame or judgment because life can be hard and lonely, and we all know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I'm Stacy. I'm a mother of seven children and have fostered for over 13 years. As an RN and former public school teacher, I quickly realized this type of parenting was not taught in a textbook or class. Let's learn together to parent different, not harder. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. Welcome to Trauma for Breakfast. I am your host, Stacey Gagnon, and today we are going to be talking about technology. I don't know about you, but within our home, it seems like a daily battle with our teens and their desire to be on technology. And so I wanted to bring in someone that I thought was kind of an expert on teens, but also an expert on technology and the brain. That would be my husband, Darren. My husband, Darren, um, has been a school teacher for how many years now? 18 years. 18 years. And he teaches high school science, um, anatomy, physiology, anything else? Yeah, just spent a lot of years as a basketball coach as well. Between the two of us, we really wanted to just talk about what is happening in children's brains with technology, how we as parents can be better informed about technology, but then also maybe how we can navigate a world where kids are being raised and experiencing what I would call a digitalized childhood. And and what is that impact that we're seeing on how they play, how they socialize, what's happening in their sleep, and, and really how they navigate the world. Let's just jump right in. I, I wanted to share a couple of statistics first as I started researching this topic that that really felt kind of alarming to me. And, and when we were talking about doing this, we thought, you know what, let's first sound the alarm a little bit, but then also let's talk about ways that we can better support our kids in technology. So one of the things that really blew my mind was that the average screen time for teenagers is seven hours and 22 minutes a day. And that's not counting their screen time at school. So our kids are on average spending seven hours and 22 minutes a day. And for eight to 12 year olds, that's dropping down to four hours and 44 minutes. Does that shock you? Well, it does. It it shocks me in the sense that, you know, if I don't really pay attention as a parent to what my kid's doing, that's what I think I would expect. So it doesn't shock me in the sense that they that that's the accurate number because kids are just going to do what they're allowed to do, right? If you give kids unfettered access to electronics, they're going to just stay on it all the time. So I think that that statistic reflects the idea that parents are giving kids technology, but not monitoring or controlling the amount of time that the kids are on technology. But it doesn't surprise me that kids will choose to do that because that's what I that's what I've been seeing for a long time now. This generation of kids that has grown up with a cell phone in their hand, they are not comfortable unless that thing is on and they are interacting with it. So honestly, I think both of us, let's answer why that's a problem. Why is I mean, I, I think as a parent, we can go, yeah, that's way too much time. But but why is technology in general possibly a problem for a teenager brain? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to answer that question. I think parents don't quite understand 
dynamics of the developing brain in a child, right? So as an anatomy teacher and a pre-med major, um, I've spent a lot of time researching and reading and teaching on the way that the brain works and the way that the brain develops, you know, from in utero all the way through till we're 25, right? When we can actually rent a car and they know those rental car companies know the brain is not completely online and working and understanding cause and effect until that age. As we look at helping our kids and wanting to be sure that their brain develops appropriately from when they're young till they get older, we do a lot of specific things. We use a lot of strategies. We read with our kids every night. We understand that the benefits of that. We give them books. We take them to the library. We try to help to, them to develop their brain appropriately. We involve them in social interactions and all those things. But what's sort of changed is we have now started to give our kids technology without really understanding the impact of that technology on their developing brain. This is going to be maybe a wake-up call for a lot of parents. I know this has been a wake-up call for me. I've known a lot of this, and yet it's still so easy to fall into the trap of giving your kids technology because they they want it. You know, they act bored often, and so it's just easy to say, "All right, go ahead and go watch a movie, or go watch TV, or or play a game on a computer." I think we've fallen into the trap that it's okay and it's normal and it doesn't really cause a problem, but. You know, when, when I teach on neural pathways, one of the things that, that I always strikes me when we, you know, having this conversation with teenagers is our brain forms neural pathways and, and we have pathways that get used, grow stronger and they get faster. And so the more we reinforce them, the, the stronger they grow, sort of like going from a road to a highway to a freeway, they get reinforced. The neural pathways that don't get used, get pared down, they get, uh, they get weaker, and so if we continually give our kids access to technology, there are only a very few specific neural pathways that are being engaged, and those are going to grow really, really strong. And the other pathways, things for, for language or social skills, um, the mirror neurons that should be helping us to develop those social skills, all of those are going to become weaker. And I'm just going to add to that. So you have these neural pathways that get stronger and we are actually reinforcing those neural pathways because we are releasing dopamine. Dopamine is um, a hormone that is like a pleasure hormone. We see dopamine secreted and activated when people are on technology. The whole gaming world and the whole social media world is around that idea. That's why when you get likes on social media or you receive a text message from someone, it, it actually secretes dopamine in the brain that gives us pleasure. Well, in a teenage brain, they are very susceptible to hits of dopamine, right? They're more susceptible than we are as adults. And so one of the things that was really striking to me is that they did MRI brain scans of addicts. So someone that was addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, or addicted to gambling, they did an MRI scan of their brain. And then they did MRI scans of children's brains who were on their devices 20 plus hours a week. The brain scans were similar. And those who were addicted to those who were also using technology on a very frequent basis. And so what we understand is that we are seeing brain changes on a physiological level in kids because of the amount of time that they're on their devices. And we are messing with the, with the pleasure center. We are basically giving them access to something that's addicting. It's, it's interesting because we have age restrictions for alcohol. We have age restrictions for gambling. We have age restrictions for drugs, but we don't have age restrictions for Snapchat 
Instagram and Facebook. And what that's doing is it's actually messing with our kids on a physiological level. I would love to hear from you. Like, what have you seen change with teenagers in your classroom? Because you've been teaching longer than technology. Cell phones have been out for kids. Yeah. I I started teaching around 2001 and things in the classroom have definitely changed. Our district now, the last district that I taught in was a one-to-one district where every kid received an iPad. Uh, They used it on a daily basis, used it hourly every, every day in class. You know, I think that one of the most amazing things that I could say I see different in the classroom, when I started teaching years ago, classroom management was very different, right? If I said to my class of 30 students, you guys can have five or 10 minutes to just sit and talk because I, I need to get something set up or we're going to you know, transition from one thing to the next. If I gave them that short break, it would get really loud in the classroom, right? The kids would be conversing and talking. They would, it just tends to be when 30 people are talking for it to get really loud. And so I would, you know, remind the kids, hey, you guys need to keep it down so we can hear. And today when I give kids some of space in class to do the same thing, if I said, you can have five minutes to sit and talk, it's dead silent in the classroom. There is no talking. In a class of 30 kids, every single kid will immediately pull out their phone or their iPad and jump online. And I don't know what they're doing. I mean, I'm assuming some of them are texting, some of them are, you know, watching funny cat videos on YouTube, or, you know, maybe they're not anything dangerous. Maybe it's completely innocuous. But the problem I see is there, there's not the relationship with the other students, there's not conversating, there's not building of social skills and all those things that used to happen in those environments. When you were sitting with other kids, you would talk with other kids. That's not happening the same anymore. And I think that's, that is an interesting idea that our kids are losing the ability to relate to other people. There are actually a lot of studies, evidence-based studies that have been linked to depression among teens and the amount of screen time that they're using, especially with social media. Can you speak to that a little bit on what you saw, especially I think with, with girls or, or women that you taught in how they were navigating those years as well? One real strong pattern that I saw in my students and especially in the female students, the girls that I had in my classes, increasingly over the last 15 years, I have seen lots more depression, lots more anxiety, a lot higher stress levels. And I mean, there are other reasons I think for that besides technology, right? There's a lot of academic pressure on kids now. There's there's pressure from all over the place. But I think the difference is they don't have the skills to handle their stress. They don't have the ability to know how to regulate themselves when they have that anxiety because they, they've just grown up with their phone and not building those relationships with other students and with other kids. And so when I was a teenager, right in the 90s, when I when I felt dysregulated or I was sad or I, you know, I would I would get on the phone and I would call somebody and we would talk on the phone. If I couldn't go and see somebody, you just lay there with that cord tied to the wall in the hallway and and try to have a conversation. And so it was still another person, right? I think that our brains are wired for connection. We are wired to connect to other people. That's what forever has happened, right? Before there were phones, people sat and talked in person, or I mean, we still sit and talk in person, but phones allowed us to be able to continue that even when we weren't together. But now what's really happened is the phones. It's funny, we still call them phones, right? We give our kids a phone, a cell phone, but the last thing that it is ever used for is actually talking to someone else. It is more like we're giving them a computer that eliminates their ability to talk to other people. 
What I'm seeing is the lack of their ability to know how to regulate themselves in the light of their stress. So they, they have stress and anxiety and they don't know what to do. So they get on Instagram, they get on TikTok, they get on Facebook, exactly the wrong places to go when you're maybe feeling that you need to connect with somebody else. And getting a dopamine hit. So yeah, they, right. there's a false sense. Like I can forget about my stress and anxiety for a while because I can disappear into my cell phone. Uh, I can see what other people are doing and all of that, but it's, it's a, it's like a fake reality. Reality. It's not truly a solution because at the end, at some point, I'm going to turn the phone off and I'm going to still feel exactly the way I felt before because I didn't have a conversation. I was not able to share my emotional experience with another person. I certainly did not get any emotional validation. And so all of those things that we used to do we're lacking now in this generation. And, and I think what's important that Darren's saying is when you get a, a dopamine hit, you feel pleasure, but you also get to numb out you get to feel numb. And so when we look at those who are dealing with substance use disorders, the majority of people who are addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs started when they were children. That's when we are most susceptible to the dopamine hit. And so when we look at kids and we look at us when we're giving them cell phones, which the average age a child receives a smartphone, 53% of kids are have, have a smartphone by the age of 11, 53%. Which, okay? which I also find amazing. The average exposure to pornography is also the age of 11. So when we look at that, it should be startling to us, but we should look at that and go, whoa, okay. What happens around the age of 11? Around the, the preteen to teen years, kids start moving away from the family unit and looking to their parents for that social interaction, relational, my parents are everything to me. And then their peers are supposed to become where they receive a lot of that relational involvement. Well, when everyone's on a cell phone, then what they end up doing is they end up numbing out or checking out into a world that's not real, that's lacking relationship. And so then we're going to see that as a ripple effect across the lifespan. And so we've talked with a lot of um, businessmen and people in the community. I thought this was really startling. Darren talked to a man that does a lot of interviews and tell him what happened, what he's seeing in the interview process with some kids. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is he's a, he's a business consultant. He does hiring for a lot of different organizations. And he said it's, he actually has started to teach kids basic social skills. He's actually started classes to teach students how to get a job, how to prepare for an interview, how to create um, a dynamic resume, all of that sort of thing. Because what he was seeing is kids would show up for an interview and he'd be talking with them and their phone would ring and they would tell him, hold on, I got I to gotta answer my phone. This will just take a minute. And they would get on the phone or they would start texting right in the middle of their interview because they, they to, to kids who have grown up with technology, their phones are the most important thing in their life. There's not anything that trumps that. And so even though they're in an interview trying to get a job, they still cannot keep themselves from their phones. And so he's been working with them to help them to understand some of those issues. And it makes me think of a quote. There's a, a guy named uh, Nassim Taleb, this quote, he says, the difference between technology and slavery is that slaves are fully aware that they are not free. And when I, when I read that quote, I thought, you know, it's so true. Our kids are, are becoming addicts and they don't even know that they're addicts. They don't, they don't even appreciate the idea that they are um, putting themselves into that category of addict with their cell phones and their technology. 
All right. So now sitting here and, and I'm telling you that for Darren and I, as we were getting ready and preparing to talk about this, we started seeing where we as parents needed to make some changes. And so I'm sure those of you that are listening are like, oh my gosh, I'm screwed. <laughs> like, oh, holy cow. But you're not. I think that what we want to do with this is we want to encourage you to step into brave parenting. Step into brave parenting with us because this is the direction we are going after doing this podcast and we started implementing in our own home. Because some of you are probably like, well, my kid's 14 and yeah, they got a phone at the age of 11 and oh my gosh, my child is the one that's on their screen seven hours a day. How do we detox children and decrease screen time in a way that's not going to hurt their relationship with them or make them feel ostracized from peers where we want to break that down with you guys, not just say, Hey, here's the, here's the alarm. Here's the danger. Good luck. Let's talk about how we can change how we're parenting because when we know better, we can do better. Number one role model. You are still your child's role model. And for Darren and I both, we recognize that there are times when we feel tired or we feel done where we start checking out and we're scrolling. We're on our screens and we're scrolling and we are not attuned to our kids or our families. In order to be able to tell our children they need less screen time, we also need to be a role model of less screen time. Personally, in our own family, you know, we have a lot of kids that have a lot of trauma and we haven't even addressed that yet. But when kids, when kids have trauma in their background, they're even more prone to addiction, right? So kids, kids are naturally prone to addiction. They don't have the developed brain yet to regulate themselves when, when they have that dopamine hit. They don't know yet quite how to handle that. Um, but then when you add in a whole a layer of trauma in their background, now they're going to be more prone to addiction. So we have an interesting mix in our family. We have some adopted kids. We have some internationally adopted kids. We have uh, some biologic children. And so we, we've had to navigate having kids that are on different places sort of on that continuum. And so for our biologic kids that are now 18 and 20, you know, they've had a lot more exposure to cell phones and to technology because they can handle it a little bit better. Uh, I still think probably we, you know, we didn't give our kids cell phones till they were 15. I think now I probably would even push that back a little bit more, or maybe had some other uh, guardrails sort of in place. But for our younger kids that are, you know, between the ages of six and 14, we just have almost completely eliminated technology. They do not have cell phones. Uh, we do let them watch TV. We watch movies uh, because I think inherently, you know, technology is not bad. We don't need to be scared of technology in the sense that it's always awful. I think there's sort of a continuum there um, where technology can be really useful and really good. And then technology can be on the other end of that continuum, incredibly dangerous and uh, risky for kids. And so we need as parents to know our own kids, to know their ages, their developmental levels, and then find what's appropriate on that continuum for them. And I would not have a problem giving my kids a phone. In fact, even a 13 or 14 year old, even my kids with trauma, I, I would give them a phone if it was just a phone, if they could only call people, because that doesn't scare me, right? It doesn't scare me to have my kids have a phone. Like, I had a phone access when I was, you know, that age at home and I don't feel like it was hurtful, but the problem is now that smartphones don't just operate as phones. And so they have uh, video games on there. They have social media. They have the ability to communicate and go disappear into some world that I am not even involved in. It, this is a hard thing because once kids have been exposed and they've gotten used to having technology, 
asking them to give it up, that's a that's a real challenge. And you see it all the time in, a, in the grocery store or a Walmart or somewhere where a parent takes a phone away from a kid and they're just screaming and screaming. Like, you know, we use them to placate our kids sometimes. And I think in small doses, it really is okay. But, but the problem is when we, we give it to them too early or we give it to them too much and we don't have any kind of restrictions in place. When you're looking at detoxing your child or bringing, bringing down their screen time. First of all, it needs to be, it needs to be a sit down and show them there are different videos like um, screenagers and different Ted talks that talk to kids about what technology does in the brain, sitting down and then having a conversation with your teen and then saying, look, let's write out a contract of what this looks like, but then expect pushback. You have to expect pushback because when you are taking away the dopamine hit, you are going to have a child that looks like they're coming off of drugs or alcohol. That's just the way it is because of the dopamine. What is really incredibly important though, is that you have to have alternatives. You have to give them replacements for that screen time. You can't just say, I'm taking away your phone. I'm shutting everything down. You have to say, okay, instead of that, we're going to the Y together and we're going to go shoot hoops, be sit down and be creative, or we're going to go and bake something together. You have to be for two weeks because that's about how long it's going to take to reset that brain. You have to be in a space where you're going to walk through this with your kid because they are going to be needing that dopamine that you took away from them. So have alternatives or replacements, and it has to be you walking alongside your kid. And then when you look at reintroducing a screen time, then you are going to be specific about the time. It's not just a arbitrary number. You're like, okay, in our home from four to 5 PM, you may be on a device or technology. And so that there is a specific set time where a child knows, okay, this is when we can do this. And then the rest of the time, things are turned off. There are different things that you can use. There is the circle by Disney, which is excellent. That helps you to control um, screen time without it being you physically going and taking it away. It's just shutting off devices. It's also a filter. Another really great filter is called Bark. Bark lets you know in real time by a barking dog, when a child or a teenager is accessing or has accessed something that could be inappropriate for them to see, you'll start hearing a barking dog and you'll know, oh, they've gone to a site that's not appropriate for a family. And then as far as what Darren was talking about, a phone that's just a phone, the Gab phone, G-A-B-B, is an excellent device. It truly is only a phone. There's no internet access. There's not apps. It looks like an iPhone so that they will look like they have an iPhone in case there's that fear of being a teenager and not having and being like well, all the other rest of the kids, but it only works as a phone. The, yeah, there's also uh, Sprint has a phone called the WeGo phone. It's similar. They also have watches that now there's the Gizmo watches one. I think Verizon has. A kid can wear it. It works as a cell phone. Um, you can put certain numbers into it that they can call and access, but it doesn't have all of the other apps on it. I think that's really important to understand that we want to give alternatives and we don't want, when we're looking at being brave in our parenting and saying, we're taking a stand, we're not, we're not letting technology rule our lives. We're having relationship with our kids, you know, and preparing them to um, live in this world. I think though, that we have to go into this recognizing number one, what we are taking from them, which is that dopamine hit, but two, 
recognize that we have to replace it with something alongside of them. We have to walk them through this because we don't expect them just to do this on their own. Yeah, I want to share just a, a couple things on that same idea. If you're going to be trying to start to go through this process of limiting the technology for your kids. In 2016, CNN, they did a common sense media poll and they, they found that when they talked with teenagers, 50% said that they were addicted to their cell phone. So 50% of teenagers admitted that they are actually unable to function without their cell phone. So if you go to that child and you say, give me your phone, you, you're going to have World War III on your hands, right? Like, yeah, you need to find a way to, to do that. And if, it, if a child is old enough and you can have that conversation with them where you, they can understand what that addiction is and, and how problematic it is, then that's a conversation you definitely need to have because they need to learn how to regulate that on themselves. Because addiction really is addiction. Add addiction, whether you're addicted to heroin or to alcohol or to cigarettes or to technology, in the brain, it doesn't matter. There's not a, a huge difference. Addiction is addiction. So if your kids are addicted, uh, you can know you're going to get pushback when you try to take that, whatever it is they're addicted to, away. Um, also, uh, between 2012 and 2015, depression in boys increased by 21%. And then in girls, it actually increased by 50%. And so this was out of psychology today did this study and they found that in those years, those were the kind of those first kids that were having cell phones, smartphones, 24 hours a day, that the depression and anxiety rates went through the roof. So if you have kids who have grown up with the phone and they have experienced an increase, like so many of our kids have in depression and anxiety, and the phone is their relief for that, not only are you going to be taking away what they're addicted to, you're also taking away what they have turned to, to cope with their anxiety and their, their stress. So you're going to have to be proactive as a parent and helping your kids work through the process to find other ways to cope. So I think what's really important in understanding is that what we want our kids to turn to when they're stressed, what, how we want our kids to handle anxiety and the daily pressures of life is found in relationship with other people, not found in technology or alcohol or drugs or any of those things. In order to help them to learn that, it has to be done during the teen years. It has to be done during the developing brain years because teen brains learn really well. Adult brains, it takes longer to learn. And so when I'm working with individuals that are struggling with substance use disorder, it's really hard to teach that brain to turn to people instead of the drug of choice. The one other thing I want to, we want to add in before we kind of close up this podcast, school technology has been one of the hardest things we've had to navigate as parents. Darren and I, our children, we have one main TV that all of our kids that's in a main area that they're allowed to watch. They don't have cell phones. They're not on technology. However, we go, our kids go to a one-to-one, -one, one iPad per kid. And suddenly I'm getting all these reports of my two teenagers that are surfing YouTube all day at school and recognizing like, oh my goodness, we didn't give them access to this at home, but they've received access to this at school. Just because it's a school device 
doesn't mean it's a safe device. And so we've had to be very proactive with the school going in several times and speaking on this and asking for different parameters to be put on our children's personal iPads and saying, in our family, we don't do this. In our, we, we want this block. So in, in having conversations with our kids, even on, I will know if you're accessing the, these things. Yeah. But, I, you know, school is such a tough one because schools are inundated with technology and technology is useful, right? Again, I don't want, I don't want to just say technology, all technology is bad. Technology has a, a really important role in our society. If your kids, so a lot of your kids at school, you know, schools will say you can't have your cell phone with you during the day. So it has to be away in a, in a locker or something like that. Well, a lot of kids now have smart watches. And so if they keep their phone on in their locker, they can still the watch because they're close enough proximity, their watch can still get notifications from their phone. And so then they can still text, they can still have access to certain things off of their smartphone, like an like iWatch. The other thing is, you know, the distractions. So at, at school, again, you know, Stacy started this off kind of asking me how things are changed in the classroom. A teacher did, a, did an interesting experiment where she had her entire class put their phones on their desk and turn them up really loud they tallied up all of the different notifications that came through in one class period. And so, you know, I'm going to imagine there was a class of probably about 30, 30 students. These were high school students. And every time a text message came through, they tallied that every time, um, you know, an Instagram notification came through, they tallied all these things and they actually quit uh, before the class was even over because they got to 1100 notifications. And so there were over 300 text messages that came through Instagram notifications, emails, and 32 phone calls all in one class period. Our teachers' jobs are already really hard. And if we give our kids a phone and we send our kids to school with that phone without you know, knowing what's going on at school, that phone is going to be really distracting to them all day long. Just so many notifications and our kids are not, not most of the time able to just ignore those notifications. So as soon as something pops up, they're going to want to look at it. So I think navigating technology at school, there, there is definitely some work to be done there, I think, between parents and teachers and parents in schools about what you want to have happen with your kid. Absolutely. And I, I do think when your child is on technology, you need to recognize what's not happening. Imagination's not happening. Language development's not happening. Creativity is not happening. Relationship is not happening. Just like Darren said, it's not that technology is bad, but the reality is, is that the technology that our kids are accessing is not truly making us technologically advanced. It'd be one thing if our kids were sitting on computers and doing coding skills or doing really learning how to use technology, but our kids are using technology in a way that is not actually advancing us technologically. I think it was interesting. Darren was telling me a story. Of what, he actually had a student ask if they could type their paper out on their phone because they were faster typing with their thumb. <laughs> yeah. Re remarkably, so many of my students were like, I'd rather do this report five page paper on my phone rather than a key because I don't know how to use a keyboard and I don't know how to use Microsoft Word. I don't know how to use Google Docs but I know how to do it on my phone. So it is like Stacey's right. Our kids are so inundated with technology, but their specific skill set in using a computer for a purpose had that those skills are lacking. So I think anything you want to end with as far as like navigating technology as a parent and as a, as a teacher of young minds, what you wish parents knew? You know, I, I think that you have to be willing to protect your kids. You know, I mean, most parents, we don't give our kids cigarettes. 
We don't give our kids alcohol. We don't give our, our kids other things. We don't take them to casinos and drop them off because we know those are all bad for them and they're all addictive. But I think we don't put technology in cell phones into that category. But I would want parents to start to do that, to start to realize that the addictive properties of technology for our kids is just like handing them alcohol or cigarettes. They're going to get addicted and they're going to stay on those things and they're going to miss out on real life. You know, we're, we're in uncharted waters, right? We're, we're raising a generation of kids that, in a world that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. So don't, don't feel bad if you feel like you've made some mistakes as a parent. But if you know better, now you can do better. If you know that these are going to be problems and you can do a lot of research on your own, you can search adolescents, teenagers and cell phones and technology, and you can read up on a lot of the studies that have been done. So I guess what I would say is for parents and for teachers, we need to understand the, the inherent dangers in technology, use technology appropriately, have conversations with our with our kids about why they're dangerous, because we haven't even touched on so many problems that come with technology. We haven't touched on things like cyberbullying, uh, pornography, you know, the dangers of Facebook files. I don't know if you guys read, you know, have seen or read the, the information that came out from somebody that leaked the Facebook files, Facebook and Instagram, they know that their platforms are damaging to teenagers, especially teenage girls yet that's who they market to. They know, but they don't really care. So besides the idea that technology is addicting, there's also what's coming through that phone. There's a lot of companies that have a lot of money invested in pursuing your child. They know that if they get your child addicted when they're young, then they will stay on that platform as they age. And then they're targeting specific ads to, to you. So there's this is all driven by money. I, I think it's a little bit like McDonald's when with a Happy Meal, right? They know they, they can get you addicted when you're a kid, then you're going to keep going back. So know that as a parent, you're going to have a battle on your hands to deal with this. But what we found was that after about two weeks, like if we went cold turkey, took our kids off of technology for, for about two weeks, they would go through withdrawals. And then they would come out of it and things would change. And I, we started to see our kids playing with each other more. They started doing other activities. They were more likely to go outside and play or ride a bike. It is a bit of a challenge, but it's worth it. And it doesn't, that battle is not going to rage for forever. I want to end on with just a, a quick story and, and really encourage you in doing this. I was in um, Walmart and I was in one of the aisles and I was, there was a mom with, with like a two or three-year-old sitting in the big part of the cart and the child had mom's cell phone playing some game or something. The phone rang. So mom took the phone from the, the child and it was the biggest, like it sounded screaming ruckus that sounded like the child had lost an arm. And I'm watching and the mom answers the phone and says, I'm sorry, I cannot talk to you right now. I can't. And hung up and gave, quickly gave the phone back to the child and instantly the crying stopped. And I remember thinking like, I wasn't like pointing a finger at this mom. I was thinking like, oh, how hard we have made this because we've made it look like affluence to have cell phones, the younger our kids are. We've made it look like this is what we do if we're good parents. Well, I guess what Darren and I want to say to you today is that I want to see your kids screaming in the Walmart aisle because you've taken their phone away, your phone back, and you're not giving them technology. I want to be that parent that says, good job to you, mom, because you said no and took away that technology. And I'm going to stand beside you while your kid is freaking out and screaming because we know that that's what's best for our kids. That's what being 
being a brave parent is about is standing up and saying, I'm allowing you to pitch the biggest fit because I know this is not good for you. And mom, I'm going to be watching you and I'm going to say, good job. Good job, mom. So thank you guys so much for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. We hope that you guys have taken some information on how to be a brave parent today and how to really navigate this new technological world with your teens and your younger children and know that we are walking alongside of you through this and we know it's not easy. Keep up the good work. We're so thankful that you all shared in today's conversation. We are always here and ready to set one more place at the table. Thanks for joining us on Trauma for Breakfast. Trauma for Breakfast is brought to you and supported by Matt Force, working together to reduce substance abuse, and Yavapai County Community Health Services, working toward healthier communities.